0: And Aaron Waters, who's one of our ministry trainees, is going to read that passage to us. Thank you, Aaron. Yeah, uh,
1: Philippians uh, chapter 4, verses 10 to 23. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I'm in need, for I have... Learned, for I have, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epiphritus the gift you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen.
0: Good evening, everybody. If I was to um, ask you, what is your purpose in life? What would you say? If you are a Christian here this evening, I'm sure you'll believe that God created you. Uh, But why did he do that? Why did he make you? What is the purpose that he he gave you? The Westminster Confession, the the Statement of Faith that united uh, evangelical Christians of all denominations in the 17th century, says the chief end of man, or in modern day speak, that the main purpose of human beings is to glorify God and enjoy him forever but again what does that mean to glorify God uh, surely he is already glorious and we can't make him any more glorious than he already is well to glorify God means to reveal his glory to others to make his glory known to show that he is God and there is no other the question of course is how do we do that and the clue is in the second part of that statement um to to glorify God and enjoy him forever. In his book, Desiring God, John Piper, questions the use of that word and. um, He asks, are these two separate things, glorify God and enjoy him forever? Sometimes you glorify God, sometimes you enjoy him, sometimes he gets glory, sometimes you get joy. Um, Well, the conclusion he comes to, which I think is right, is that they're not two separate things, they're linked. We glorify God by enjoying him. After all, the Bible tells us that everything we do is meant to be for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The theme sentence that's been running through this um, uh, series in Philippians is selfless, humble witnesses who are focused on living for the glory of God. And in our passage this evening in verse 19 to 20, if you look down at that, we read, My God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Ultimately, the purpose of our lives as Christians is to live for God's glory. So what does our passage this evening tell us then about living for God's glory? Let's have a, have a look at it. And the thing is that comes through this passage is that we glorify God through our contentment, through enjoying him. We glorify God by enjoying him. In this year's um, world happiness rankings, the UK came in 19th, just above the uh, United Arab Emirates. Uh, top two places were two Scandinavian countries, Finland and Norway which is difficult to believe, given that uh, in winter they don't have any daylight. Um, but uh, there you go. Um, there were regional variations in the UK, but the real differences um, sprang up to in age groups. Apparently personal well-being dips in middle age, um, recovered sharply thereafter, looking forward to that. Um, <laughs> so the people in their 70s, if you're in that age bracket this evening, are happier than those in their late 40s. Well, to be honest, I'm surprised we're as high as 19th place, um, because we are a bit of a nation of whingers, aren't we, really? Um, There's lots of Victor Meldrews around. Um, What are some of the things we moan about? Bad drivers, poor customer service, weak internet connections, cold callers. Apparently, we grumble at least 11 times every weekday and 16 times over the weekend. (laughs) So what makes us happy? Well, some of the things I'm sure you might think of. A comfortable home that makes us happy. Holiday in the sun. Eating and drinking. Family and friends. The people's big problem is that they depend on all these things for their happiness. And secondly, that they have to obtain all these things themselves. Um, In other words, they think they have to make their own happiness. And if they don't, they feel a failure. And part of the problem is that people compare their happiness with other people's happiness. It's not just about me having a good time. I've got to be having a better time than everybody else. I need to tell everybody I'm having a good time as well. Facebook has a lot to answer for, doesn't it? Well, here in verse 11 of chapter 4 of Philippians, Paul says something quite amazing. He says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. You don't have to work really hard to be successful and earn money to buy things that will make you content. You don't have to have everything that everybody else has. Your circumstances don't determine your level of contentment. Because all you need is contentment in God. In other words, all those things we just mentioned which give people pleasure, which give them, make them happy, which make us happy. If we have them, that's great. But if we don't, if God was to take them all away, would we still be content? Paul's not just saying that here. You know, he's literally had everything taken away. He's He's in prison for being a follower of Christ. He has no home with a comfy bed. He can't even see the sun. He's got no decent food. No friends and family with him. Not much chance for exercise. The ironic thing in this country is that we have so much today and yet we find it harder than ever to be content. Paul says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. He says again in verse 12, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So what is this great secret of contentment that he has? If Paul doesn't get his contentment from external things, like being well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, where does he get it from? Well, he gets it from being confident that God, in his wisdom, in his grace, will give him what he needs and when he needs it. That may be a lot, it may be little. That means acknowledging that everything we have comes from God. It's not luck, it's not down to our hard work, ultimately it's down to his provision. As Job said, after he had had everything taken away from him, the Lord gives And the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. So whether we have a lot of wealth or have little, whether we enjoy good health or have a debilitating illness, whether we have a large family or have no children or grandchildren, whether we live in a free country like the UK or face persecution for being a Christian like many people in the world, we must remain confident of one thing that God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. That is an amazing promise, isn't it? It's not a guarantee that God will make us healthy, wealthy and popular, but that he will meet all our needs. That's not the things we think we need, but the things he knows that we need. Many of you know that before I became a, a pastor, I used to be a banker Had a uh, nice, comfortable life, well-paid job, with all the comforts that go with that. And when I felt God calling me into to ministry, I meant giving that all up to go off and train for three years at theological college, and not know where I and the family might end up. Uh, some people who were not Christians thought that was pretty, pretty strange, um, a little bit reckless even. But as a Christian, we hold on lightly, don't we, to what God has given us? He make change. Our direction at any time. He may call us into ministry. He may call us to a different, um, area. If he has given us much, then enjoy it. Use it for God's glory, but don't become dependent on it. Don't worship it. As we stepped out in faith, it was with a a trust that God would somehow supply our needs. Um, it's incredible how close that draws you to God. Um, when you're so dependent on him. Because the thing is, if God has dealt with our greatest need, then we can trust him to provide for all of our daily needs. Our greatest need is to have a relationship with God. Um, To have a relationship with God means, first, to accept that we're spiritually poor. We need that relationship with him. And it was God who made it possible for us to have a relationship with him by sending Jesus to deal with our problem, the problem that separates us from God, our sin and our pride. By taking that punishment for our sins, he's granted us forgiveness, he's granted us new life, and that is the one thing we need for contentment. If we have Jesus, then it doesn't matter about all that other stuff. Only Jesus can truly satisfy us. I'm sure many of us uh, at times have looked for contentment in the wrong places. Uh, We've had to learn the the hard way. And if you're still looking for contentment, let me encourage you to look for it in the right place, to look for it in Jesus. He exceeds our expectations. He provides for our needs. He fulfills our desires. Jesus alone can provide the satisfaction, can provide the joy that we so desperately seek. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. God's riches in Christ are inexhaustible. And that means we don't need to worry about the future. He will always be able to provide what we need. And it's that which gives us the the underlying joy in all circumstances that we looked at last week um, at the beginning of chapter 4. That makes it possible for us to rejoice in all circumstances. Remember looking at those verses? Um, That enables us not to be anxious. That gives us the peace of God which transcends all understanding. We need to be at peace with God. We need to remain at peace with God. We need to remain firm in our faith. And just as our conversion was down to God's grace, so will our perseverance in faith depend on God's grace? Remember the first sermon in this series back in chapter 1? Back there it said, um, he, in verse 6, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Or chapter 3, verse 21, look over the, the page there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Or chapter 4, verse 7. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We glorify God through our contentment in him, but also through our dependence on him. And those two are very closely linked. The big question, though, is how content am I in Christ? How content am I in Christ? If we're Christians, I'm sure we would say, well I am content in Christ, that is where my contentment lies but can we truly say the same as Paul that I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well fed or hungry whether living in plenty or in want because the thing is most of us here do live in plenty Um, most of us have not known what it is to live in want how would we feel if God were to take everything away Will we still be content in Christ? Paul had to learn that lesson the hard way because God did take it all away, as we said, by allowing him to be put in prison for being a a Christian. And what did he learn in that situation? Was it just to, to cope and survive? Have a look at verse 13. He says there, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That is the greatest way in which we can glorify God. That in our time of hardship, uh, distress, ruin, we can say, as Paul did, I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. There are so many ways in which we can be brought low. It may be material loss. It may be through the death of a loved one. Through the loss of our health, physical or mental maybe through the breakdown of a relationship or through being let down. But in all of that, God will meet our needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Now, you may um, say, okay, I'm at peace with God. I know I've been forgiven. I'm a believer, but I still find it hard not to somehow control my life. I want to know that I've got a regular income that I've got enough money in my savings account for a rainy day who knows what might happen in the future that I, I want to know where I'm going to be in a couple of years time how do you live in total dependence on God put another way how do you live by faith well if you want to know what this looks like in practice have a read of um, some really helpful biographies um, brother Andrew which we've mentioned recently God smuggler um, George Muller uh, one of their policies was not to ask for money. Even though they were living, uh, they were in Christian ministry. They wouldn't make a, a big appeal, um, show a moving video. Didn't have videos in those days with some appropriate music to um, to pull on your heartstrings and then make you feel guilty, make you get your cheque put out. They would simply pray. They would pray to God that he would provide for their needs, not even knowing where that would come from and that God would give them the faith to do that. One example of this from God's smuggler was when Brother Andrew needed to pay his visa, which um, would mean he could stay at the Bible school he was at, in, I think it was in Scotland. Um, When Andrew received a visitor the day before, he needed to send off his visa. He was confident that the visitor coming to him would um, give him money to pay for that visa. But uh, the visitor was um, a guy called Richard, a man who Andrew had met in the slums in, in Glasgow. Uh, Richard hadn't actually come to give him any money. Um, he'd come to ask for money. Well, Andrew explained he didn't actually have any money himself to give to him. Um, but as he spoke, he saw a shilling in the days of shillings on the floor. And that shilling was um, just how much he needed to pay for his visa. But rather than keep the shilling for himself, he gave the shilling to, to his brother in need. He'd done what he knew was right, um, not knowing where the money would come from his visa. Minutes later, he received a letter, and in it was 30 shillings God had provided in his way. He just needed to trust. Paul says in verse 13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. The coming back to that situation, if we are in plenty, how do we glorify God through our contentment? And through our dependence on him. The answer comes um, in the next bit. Through our generosity. The way God supplies our needs. Is often through his people. By touching their hearts. To give to those most in need. Uh, Which is what happened here. The Philippians had a real concern for for Paul. And the way they showed that. Was by sending him gifts. Have a look at verse 14. said it was good of you. To share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Now they could have come up with loads of excuses. They could have said, well, we're, we're actually a young church. We're not actually really mature enough to think about how we can give sacrificially. Um, they could have said, well, you're in Thessalonica. Surely the Christians there can, can help you out. Um, we've given to you already. Um, maybe it's the turn of somebody else. No, they kept giving to him. It wasn't a, a tick the box exercise. I, I've done that now. I've, I've made my conscience feel good. It was part of a partnership that they had with him. Remember back in the um, chapter one of of the the letter, Paul writes, I pray, verse uh, verse four, with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. A partnership's a two-way thing. Paul is serving them. They are serving him in different ways according to what they can give to that partnership. And Paul doesn't depend on their gifts to make him content. If those gifts hadn't come, he would still be content. He says, not that I desire your gifts, he says, which sounds a little bit ungrateful. Um, but he goes on to say, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. He's more interested in what the gifts say about them, that God is working a change in them. Their generosity reveals a greater maturity, a greater desire to glorify God. It's like when you've got um, young children and they give you a present for your um, birthday or Mother's Day or Father's Day. Um, And it's a a pretty rubbish present. But um, they've thought about it a lot and uh, they may even have made it themselves. They've wanted to please you. They've taken delight in giving it to you. You're more pleased about what it shows about them than the actual gift, aren't you? Generosity light in giving shows a changed heart a changed heart glorifies God because it's God who's changed it so if you're thinking I-, I want to glorify God by being content in plenty and in want but currently I'm in plenty then glorify God by being generous generous of what you've got finally We glorify God through our love for God's people. We've already said that the church in Philippi glorify God in their contentment in God, their generosity towards Paul. Before finishes the letter with some words of greeting. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. God's promise to Jacob that we've been looking at um, Sunday mornings recently um, was that through his offspring all nations in the world would one day be blessed. We're told that in Revelation 5 that when Jesus comes again there will be people from every tribe and language and people and nation gathered around the throne. And people's, God's people from different cities different nations work together and express their oneness in Jesus. They're demonstrating the church on earth. The church, the people that God is preparing for heaven. The bride that He's dressing. And as He does that, we're glorifying God. It's great to be able to support missionaries, isn't it? And churches around the world. Uh, to be able to send Josh and Helen out to, um, to, to Nairobi to study. To send the Smiths on a, a short-term visit to Nepal to encourage the the, the people out there and help with the Bible translation. Even for Sandra and Sally and Helen to go to De Swatini. It shows that we're not just a group of people in a little village in Buckinghamshire meeting to serve our own needs. We're part of a much bigger thing. We're part of a universal church. We belong to a big God. And it's a reminder that what keeps us going... It's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul finishes his letter. We won't be able to glorify God through our contentment, through our generosity, through our love for God's people without the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week, Willsie gave us the one challenge to memorize one verse a week. Uh, hopefully you've uh, I managed to do that this this last week, but uh, why not, going into this next week, memorize this one. And not just memorize, but ask God to help you really believe it, to believe it in your heart, that my God will meet all my needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's um, just have a moment of quiet to reflect on what we've heard. Maybe just reflect on what it is in which you find contentment. And what it would be like to have all that stripped away. Would your contentment still be in Jesus Christ? Think about how you can glorify God in your contentment, in your generosity. and through the love for God's people. may quiet to hear what God is saying to,
1: to you and to respond to that.